Okay, today's class is dedicated, and we're honored for it to be dedicated um, two ways. First of all, it's dedicated for Fuashlema of Rachel Bat Esther by her friends and her family. And um chose not to say the name, but we hope that Hashem is a wonderful family, wonderful children. Hashem should send Rachel Bat Esther or Fuashlema very quickly, speedily. Hashem, we need people to get better. Please, Hashem, we need people to get better. We need to hear those. We need to get those emails. How about if we got an email and said, this person got better. Right. That person got better. I'm, I'm rooting for that one. I know. Instead of getting emails that we get these days, that just make us depressed. But Hashem, please, quickly, fast, and B'zat Hashem, completely, amen. And then, Be'at Hashem, today's class is also dedicated in memory of Stanley Labatan, Allah Shalom. Abraham Ben Sarah, who... We were very close to, although he didn't talk so much. He was a man who had a wonderful demeanor, wonderful way about him. His yeah. his wife and his daughter are literally sitting in his seat that he normally would sit in in this shul every week. Am I right? The exact seat. And it's dedicated by his wife, Alice, and his daughter and his children. And we hope, again, our memory of him is so beautiful and so strong. And it's wonderful when you think about a person and all you think about is wonderful things. And Stanley Labaton is one of those people. His family, his children, his grandchildren, they all have really following a path of Torah, mitzvot, and growth in so many ways. And Baruch Hashem, he was a man who stood for so much of the beautiful virtues that that previous generation had. And I think the class we're going to talk about today, you're going to see, is a challenge that he absolutely never had to deal with, and you'll see what I mean soon. And so, his neshama should be elevated on his second yard site, and Mizat Hashem, our words to elevate his soul. Amen. What I'd like to speak about today is the one thing that gets in the way of everything. The one thing that gets in the way of everything. And I usually start off a class convincing you that this is relevant to all of you. I hope that this class, that's not the case. I hope it's not relevant to all of you. I hope that there are some of you who will say, as we discuss the challenge, I don't have this challenge. But in all likelihood, even if you don't have the challenge, your husband may, or someone's listening online, your wife may, or your kids may, or your friends may, or your boss may, or your coworkers or employees may have this challenge. It's very unlikely that you could go through a day without meeting somebody that has the challenge of the one thing that gets in the way of everything. Let's focus this week on the story of Purim. You all know the highlights of the story. Hashirosh makes a party, calls in his wife. Eventually she doesn't come. He kills her. He takes in Esther. Haman is elevated. Haman gives Hashirosh a tremendous amount of money and has sets a decree against the Jewish people to annihilate all of them. Hashirosh one night wakes up. He has Haman take Mordechai around the city and talk about what look what the king does to someone he wishes to honor. And then Esther invites Ahasuerus to a party, just Esther and Haman and Ahasuerus. And at the party, Ahasuerus says, what do you want? She says, let's have the next party. And at the next party, she says, this man Haman is trying to wipe out my nation. And Ahasuerus kills Haman on the gallows that he set for Mordechai. And then that led to the eventual war and the Jewish people winning the war and thus the celebration of Purim. 
good. It's a quick reminder. I know you know all of it. I just wanted to highlight the highlights. I don't know if there's any story in Tanakh that has more subplots and more deeper meanings and deeper understandings than the story of Purim. There are countless sefarim written on the story of Purim to give you different understandings of the Pesukim that you've already seen. Today, I'd like to give you a different narrative that maybe I assume you've never heard before that will give you a different understanding and a different explanation to the entire story. And in it, we're going to see the one thing that gets in the way of everything. Do you know that Purim can fall out on only, only four days of the week? Do you know which four days of the week can Purim fall out on? It could fall what? Obviously Friday. Obviously Friday is one of them. We can't wait for a Purim on a Friday. Hashem gave us Purim, Friday, Corona, whatever. We'll manage. So we used to have parties. Today we're going to give out like wrapped kibbeh. Anyhow, so it could happen on a Sunday, Yom Aleph. It could happen on a Tuesday, Yom Gimel. It could happen, that was last year, I think. It could happen on a Thursday, Yom He. And it could happen on a Friday, Yom Vav. Four days of the week. It never falls out on Shabbat. It never falls out on a Wednesday. And it never falls out on a Monday. Sunday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday. I'm going to give you a little symbolism in why those are the days. That's our question number one. Question number two is, we keep seeing a reference about Mordechai in the Megillah. Mordechai Yoshev. Anyone know the next words? Bishar HaMelech, at the gate or of the king. What does it mean he's sitting at the gate of the king? And why does the Megillah say it so often? He sat at the gate of the king. He was at the gate of the king. He then found out the news when he was at the gate of the king. He went to the gate of the king to tell Esther about what was happening. And then Haman takes him around the city and says, this is what the king does to someone he wishes to honor. And Mordechai goes back to the gate of the king. Why so much reference to Shar HaMelech? My next question is, why does Esther not give away her identity? How is this going to help? That Esther, the whole time, Ashurosh, who are you? Where'd you come from? No revealing of her identity. And my fourth and final question is, Esther is going to make a party with Ashurosh, right? Because she obviously wants the wine and dine him to convince him to change his decree. Why do you invite Haman to the party? Like if I wanted to have a meeting about firing somebody from a business, I don't invite that guy to the meeting. Maybe the president, the CEO, they have a meeting. You don't invite the person. Why are you inviting Haman to this party? So those are my four questions. Why are there only four days Purim could be on? Why is Mordechai sitting in the Shara Melech? Why is Esther not giving her identity? And why is Esther inviting Haman to the party? So, we're going to show you one narrative in this entire story that repeats itself again and again, that will give you a different understanding of this story, and it's really based on the one thing that gets in the way of everything. Let me tell you what that one thing is. You and your ego. Ego so often gets in the way of so many things. Ego messes up so much 
And I think in most cases, the culprit doesn't even realize that his ego is in the way. So we're going to try to do today is try to make you see it in so many different examples that we hope to bring. There's a pasuk in Devarim that explains it best. Your heart is going to become ram. It's going to become haughty. It's going to become bloated. It's going to become egotistical. Your heart becomes, you becomes full of yourself. And then you're going to forget Hashem, your God. What happens? You become so consumed with you. You become so obsessed with you that you can't hear anything else. You've heard this one before. Ego stands for, you've heard this one? It's very famous. Ego stands for edging God out. And it's, you never heard that? Oh, it's a great one. That's what it is. That when you're so consumed with yourself, Hashem says, me, God, and someone with an ego cannot live, can't coexist in the same world, Hashem says. Because ego is just, you're, you're so full with yourself, you have no space to think about Borei Olam, to think about Hashem. So many of life's issues, so many of people's problems boil down to the fact that they cannot get out of their own way. They can't get out of the way of their own ego. And they're so consumed with themselves. In some regard, this was the problem of Amalek. Amalek sees the Jewish people, sees them leaving Egypt, sees that they perform miracle after miracle after miracle, split sea, ten plagues, and yet they still are so headstrong, so egotistical, so don't care, so indifferent to what Hashem is doing, that they go into battle and they go into fight. Amalek, the number of Amalek, is actually 240. Someone here can do the math. You want to do the math? Ayin is 70, and then 40, and then 30, so that's 140. And Kuf is another 100, that's 240. 240, which is the same number as Ram. Ram, Resh Mem is 240. The same number as Ram. Ram Levavecha. You think you're great. You think you're so great. You, you go and you're literally so headstrong that you'll jump in to a fire that hurts you. So many times people are so in their own head, so busy with themselves, that they literally come off funny sometimes. I, I'm going to give you an example, and then I'm really going to itemize it in all of the most critical areas of life. I think this is just a cute little example. I don't know if it's ego or not, but it's something. So on Monday, my family chose me to take my two parents to get their second vaccine. Because I'm the only one who has antibodies, although I tested for antibodies yesterday, and they said it went down, so I don't know if I still have antibodies. Maybe I'll get the vaccine. But anyhow, so I took my two parents to someplace downtown Brooklyn. Very nice place. Wonderful people. And there's a woman in there who's a nurse, African-American woman. Nice lady. We're talking. I said to her, I said, you know, ma'am, I'm just curious. Does anyone, do you, do you have any cases of people getting side effects from the second vaccine? So she says... By the way, we've heard of a million. But anyhow, she says, no, nah, not really. It's only one or two that I know of. Everyone's good. The whole thing is overrated. You know, it's a vaccine. You ever take the flu shot? People get a little side effect. It's no big deal. Everyone's going to be fine. Everyone's making a big deal out of it. There's a lot of negativity out there. It's all fine. Everyone's going to be safe. The whole thing is going to create herd immunity. It's a beautiful thing to take this vaccine. It's fantastic. 
I said, wow, that's fantastic. I said, ma'am, did you take it yet? She said, nah, I'm not ready. <laughs> I, she says, I, I want to see what happens to everybody else first. I laughed so hard. My father, my mother, and her. We laughed for a full minute. It was so hilarious. I don't know, is that ego? I don't know what that is. But you, I was going to say, hello, Jewish lives matter. I was going to say something like, like, give us the vaccine, but you, you're, and tell us how great it is, but you're scared. But I'm going to show you in real ways how ego gets in the way. And I'm going to give you what I think are the five most critical areas of your life. Not in this order, but this is the order we're going to do it in. Number one is business. Number two is relationships. Number three is marriage. Number four is children. And number five is religion. In all five of these areas, ego is unbelievably destructive. And first, I'll start with business. I'm talking about assuming you're competent, assuming you know the business, assuming if you're in real estate, you know real estate. If you're a doctor, you're a good one. If you're a lawyer, you understand law. If you're in construction, you know how to build. If you sell food, you understand food. I'm assuming that. But there are, I would like to say, I think three ways that people with egos hurt themselves. Number one, they never listen. And the only way to really be successful is to constantly listen. Because I want to tell you something about being in business. No matter what age you are, you're either too young or too old. That means as long as you're young, you're like, you don't have enough experience, you don't have enough experience, you don't have enough experience, he doesn't have enough experience, doesn't have enough experience. Then once you have enough experience, all of a sudden it feels like now people are talking about how the world is passing you by. The only way that you can really be successful, assuming you know the field, is if you're open to listen and open to hear. Ego, I can't tell you how many people I've seen, with so full of their own self that they're not able to listen to others. And the second thing is you need to sometimes be willing to do things that are beneath you. Not everything fits with your stature if you want to be successful. Sometimes you're pulling a luggage or sometimes you're serving a customer. Sometimes you're doing things you really don't want to do. And finally, this is the hardest for people with egos to do. So if you really want to succeed, you need to be willing to reach out. And egotistical people can never do it. I'm not going to ask you if you know anyone. Anyone here know people with an ego? Do they ever call you up and say, I need your help? Never. Because they always got it covered. Even when you're watching them and you're saying, you're such a hazit case. You're so weak. You so don't have it covered. Or it could be so much easier for you if you just made a phone call. You'd have two people working on your project or five people working on your project. You just ask for help. But you're so headstrong, you'll never do it. They don't listen, they don't go beneath themselves, and they don't ask for help. Let me show you the first great example. One of the biggest qualities of Haman was the, as a descendant of, Hamal, of Amalek, is this. What was Haman consumed with? The fact that everyone bows down to him. And one, he's so obsessed with the fact that everyone bows down to him. The fact that one person doesn't bow down to him, is beneath him to handle. He can't tolerate it, and it brings his destruction. When Hashverosh calls him into the palace and says, I want to honor somebody, Haman is so egotistical, he thinks it's for sure me. That's what happens when you're obsessed with yourself. 
Haman, you're so consumed with yourself that all it will do ultimately is destroy you. So instead of some rabbi here giving you these three examples about listening, be doing things beneath yourself and reaching out, I decided I'm going to give you these three examples from three world-famous businessmen. I read a book recently called How to Lead. And in the book, and I don't know if I agree with everything in the book, but in the book, they interview all world-famous leaders, business CEOs and leaders. And I'm going to give you a story about each one of these points. There's a man named Sir Richard Branson. Anyone here know about Sir Richard Branson? Yes? What does he own? Yes, he owns Virgin Airlines and anything else with that name. He is obviously very, very successful. They created a group of elders, he says. This group of elders were like 12 people who were some of the most involved people on the planet Earth. 12 people from across the globe, like it had, like Nelson Mandela and people like that, that they called the elders to try and help and solve world problems. The interviewer asked Mr. Branson, he says, what would you say is the number one quality of all 12 elders? He says they are all excellent at listening. They're great at being able to hear. They don't speak right away. First, they listen and they take in what everybody else wants to say. Now I'll give you my example about reaching out. I told you last week an example from this woman. She's famous. Uh, her name is, we went through her last week, remember? Oprah? I told you this. Her birth certificate says Orpa. That's what it says on her birth certificate. Anyhow, they just in school, they, they didn't know how to spell her name. She said, someone asked her, how did you stay relevant for 30 years? How did you stay relevant? How did you stay number one for 30 years? She says, here's what I did. At the end of each show, in the first few years when the show would end, everyone who was there would want my autograph. So I would spend the next hour giving out 350 autographs. She says, and then I said, it's just such an exhausting thing to do. So I decided I'm not doing that anymore. Now, instead, what I did after the show was over, I would spend another hour reaching out to my audience, listening to them, hearing them, asking them what they have in their life, what are their challenges. So I always knew what the world was dealing with because I reached out to them. You'd say, what do you mean? You're world famous. You don't need to reach out to others. The answer is that's the only way you stay relevant is if you reach out to others. And let me give you my third and final story. This story is a little crazy. The CEO of Google. Anyone here know who the CEO of Google is? No, no. Those guys run. They're not the CEOs. They own the company. He's the CEO of Google. His name is Eric Schmidt. One day, you never heard of him. I never heard of him either. Good. Listen to this story. It's a wacky story, but I think it tells you, it makes the point. Google is an interesting company. I don't know if you know how Google works. Everything's like very relaxed, very chilled, whatever. He says, one day I get to my office and I see my assistant outside the office and she has a face on like something's funny is up. I walk into my office. He says, I'm the CEO of the company. And I see a guy sitting there by a desk in my office. He says, my office is eight by 12, small office. I see the guy sitting there in my office. I said, what are you doing there? He says, I moved in. I said, what? He says, yeah, I moved in. I asked him, like, who gave you permission? He says, I asked my supervisor and he gave me permission. 
I said, you know what? You're never in your office. My office has six people and it's too loud. So I moved into your office. What would you do if you were the CEO and someone moves into your office? I'd kick that guy so far, he wouldn't be able to think it. He says, but I didn't know what to do. So I said, okay, no problem, stay. He says, for a year, I had this random guy staying in my office. We worked side by side, the CEO and some random person in the company for a full year. He said he became my best friend for life. Because sometimes you do something that's beneath you and you get results that you could never anticipate. Haman's ego destroyed him. If you have a son who has this problem, you have a husband who has this problem, you have a friend who has this problem, they need to learn this lesson. You need to reach out sometimes. You need to listen sometimes. Sometimes you need to do things that you didn't expect you'd have to do if you want to be able to really succeed. We agree on this one so far? Mm -hmm. yeah. Yes? Good. Number two, relationships. If you ask me, and I'm specifically not talking about marriage, we'll get to that in a minute. If you ask me, the number one way for relationships to maintain and relationships to stay strong is if you have humility. Without humility, because almost always there's insults, there's mistakes, you need to be able to have humility. Moshe Rabbeinu is, who's the one who's going to fight Amalek? Moshe Rabbeinu. What's Moshe Rabbeinu's most famous quality? He's Anav Mikol Adam. He's the most humble person on the face of the earth. Humility, the best way to combat ego is to have humility. Sometimes your friend has a little ego. You want to stay friendly? You need to have humility. You need to be able to duck sometimes. You need to be able to say, ah, it was just a mistake, I'll let it go. You need to be able to say, you know what, I'm going to say I'm sorry, even though I don't feel it. Humility is such a critical component, and it's critical in this story, because when our rabbis tell us, he says, you know who else is compared to Moshe Rabbeinu? Mordechai HaYehudi. Because it says, Ish Moshe Anav Me'od, and it says, Mordechai Yehudi Ish, Ish Yemini, it calls him Ish, and it calls him Ish. They both were considered men of great stature, and both men of great humility. Also both men who could fight Amalek. Because the best way to fight an ego is to have, is to be humble. Is to be able to be, to lower yourself. Does anyone here know people who are in a fight? Again, if you know someone who's in some sort, doesn't really talk to each other. I'm not going to ask you who they are. Do you know anyone? There's one person in the whole room that knows people. Good. We all know people. Come on. Everybody here knows people. Now, if these people are in the midst of a fight, I'm not talking about that because, I don't know, sometimes there's real money that's involved. I, I'm not judging that. But if, let's say, it happened already, but they're still not really talking or they still don't have a relationship, almost always it's ego that's holding it back because one person is waiting for the person to say, I'm sorry. Let me give you per two, uh, a personal little example. I don't know why this is the case, but about 10 years ago, maybe it wasn't at the same time, one was 15 years ago, one was 10 years ago, two separate people decided that they absolutely hate me. They, if I would get up to speak, they'd leave the room. I've mentioned this to you a few times, the same guy. What? Me, Joey Haber. Yes. Yes, Rabbi Joey Haber, yes. I'm still not sure why. One person, because I was involved in the institution, they were unhappy about. Another person, 
I don't know, thought something about me. I don't know why. He actually was upset at my father. He took it out of me. Whatever. Don't even ask. <laughs> what? Oh, they remember. Yes. <laughs> it was a significant thing. They got out. You know, when you, a rabbi gets out to speak, you leave. And, and they were both, one of them I was really close to before. The other one I was fairly close to before. And they both, and I want to tell you something I decided. I said, you know what? These people are upset at me for absolutely no reason. Whenever they decide that they're done, I'm going to be done. I don't need an I'm sorry, an apology, a letter. Let's go over the story, how wrong they were. I don't care. Whenever they're done, I'm done. And I'm unbelievably close to both of them today. Because I, but they never said I'm sorry. Wow. They never took anything back. They never just, one of them just one day started showing up. The other one just one day started talking again. And I was like, wow, I should say something. In fact, I said to my parents, because they knew what was going on, I said, you think I should like kind of air it out and discuss with them? My mother said, Joey, just let it go. Just act like nothing's happened. You need to have humility in order to get there. And now I want to be honest, it wasn't so difficult because neither of these men really hurt my life. So if someone has someone who really hurt their life, I'm not judging you. But I am telling you that what's getting in your way is not some holier than thou. I have principles and I have to stand on my morals and I have to show a lesson. That's all baloney. The, what's getting in your way is your ego. You need them to say, I'm sorry. You need them to go over it. You need them to discuss it. You need them. They can't just do that to me. They have to say, now, if they're going to abuse you again and again and again, I'm not talking about that. If they're currently stealing from you and they're going to continue to steal from you, I am not talking about that. I want to be clear. I'm talking about when you have old beef and you have old junk that's standing there very often, what gets in the way is ego. I'll give you another recent example. So I had someone that I was working with and I sent the person a text and he didn't respond. And I sent the person another text and he didn't respond. And another text he responded. And then he sent me a text about some question from him. I respond right away. Then I sent another text and he respond. It's a little hype. Don't you think it's a little hype? It's like a little disrespectful. Like, no? What'd you say? But if I text you, you respond, right? Good. So, and this is going over a week. Like, so finally, I saw the person. So I have two ways to go. I can either go like, what are you doing? Do you understand? Or like, okay, it's not nice. It's not respectful. I'm not going to text you anymore. I'm not going to work with you anymore if this is how you're going to be. Instead, here's what I did. I went over to the person. I said, I said hi. Can, can I ask you a question? Can I see your phone? He says, yeah, why do I want to see your phone? He says, I just want to, I said, I just want to see if it works. He says, oh, you're so funny. I've been so busy, Rabbi. Please don't, you know. Well, you know what? It got the message in a cute, easy way. I had another person that I called a few times. Another person also I was very close to. And I called a few times. He didn't answer. Now, I'm a little bit, at some, I'm a little bit like hurt. Like, it's not nice. And I called. You see a missed call over and over again. Call me back. Send me a text message. Say, Rabbi, I'm busy. You can't. Nothing. I said to myself, you know what? I know what's going on with this person. He's struggling right now. The world's upside down. He's struggling. He's not in the mood to talk to people. So I never do this. But I actually did it with this one person. I'm close to him for a long time. I went and knocked on his door and said, hi, I just want to see how you're doing because I know you must be struggling. He's like, wow, what made you come? I said, you didn't answer. He says, I never didn't answer your phone. He didn't even realize that he didn't answer you need to have that. I don't want to call this real a lot of humility. You need to have a little bit of humility, ability to like duck and just keep going. Or else you won't have strong relationships. If you're waiting for the I'm sorry, if you're waiting for them to reconcile whatever they need to reconcile, you're waiting for them to treat you with the proper respect, it's never going to happen. 
The Gemara says there were two great leaders. Chizkiyah was a great king. Yeshayah was a great Navi. And what happened was, Yeshayah kept saying, I'm the Navi, the king should come to me. Chizkiyah said, I'm the king, the Navi should come to me. And neither one would come to one another. So Hashem said, I need these two people to meet. So what he did was, is he made Chizkiyah critically ill. So now Yeshayah had to go visit him. We don't need that to happen, God forbid. Where some life circumstance becomes so sad that now we're talking to one another. We don't have to wait for that. Just have the humility that it takes. Get out of your own way. Don't wait for someone to say thank you, I'm sorry. It's just not going to happen sometime. I told someone, and I was, I was talking to someone again about family and getting along with family. And I told someone, I said, I have an extended family member who basically hasn't really said, spoken to me more than one sentence in 25 years. 25 years. I said, but I want to tell you something. If he would be willing to talk tomorrow, i start talking tomorrow. Even though he's been nasty for 25 years, I don't think I did anything wrong. Maybe that's my ego speaking. But I don't think I did anything wrong. 25 years. If he wants to talk tomorrow, I'll talk tomorrow. I don't need to wait for all of that junk because all of that is just ego. Now let's take it to your marriage. Esther is going to be the person who's going to save the Jewish people. You know why she's going to be the person who's going to save the Jewish people? Because she's willing to be completely self-effacing. How do we see that? Because when she marries Ahasuerosh, she never even says an identity. That means all the pride I'm marrying into the king's family. I kind of want to say, you know where I come from? You know my father's, you know my grandfather's, you know the family I come from? I also come from a family of kings. Like, I belong here. Yet, she's not saying anything. That ability to be self-effacing is going to prepare her for the moment she has to go into Hashverosh when she says the words to Mordechai. I'm going to go into Hashverosh and myself, if I get destroyed, I get destroyed. It's okay. I don't care about me. Every marriage, in order for it to be extremely successful, you need to care about yourself. But you need to, in a little bit, you need to be able to let things go. Let me give you a true story that happened a few days ago. Not in a marriage, but it'll be our example how you see it for marriage. So there's someone that, I'm not going to say his name, I'm going to call him Jeffrey, but that's not his real name, who's been involved the past year in helping almost every person in the community that has a medical condition with corona has helped almost every person. If you don't know who I'm talking about, you're pretty much living under a rock. So anyhow, this person... A few nights ago, I went to a wedding. He comes out of the wedding, and he, this Jeffrey, again, fake name, he comes out of the wedding, and he realizes that he parked his car and was a little bit blocking someone's driveway. He gets to his car, and the woman, whose house it is, has like an SUV, and she's trying to get into the driveway. She can't get it in. She gets out of the car, and she starts screaming at him. Just shambling him, just on and on. You block the driver, kind of audacity, kind of person, screaming at him. Now she can't see who it is because he has a mask on, so his whole face is covered. She can't see him. As she's screaming, he realizes that he basically saved her husband's life. So I said, what'd you do? He says, I kept that mask as high as I could. I got in my car and I drove away. I said, Jeffrey, if it was me, I'd pull down the mask and say, hi, it's me. You want to keep yelling? That's what I would have done. 
He said, no, Rabbi, that would be horrible. I don't want to embarrass the person. So I'll let her scream at me. She doesn't know who I am. And, it's, and that's it. You sometimes need to be able to do this in a marriage. You need to be able sometimes to take a little bit of a punch. I don't mean literally a punch. Don't do that. But to take someone upset even when you're not wrong. Someone wanting an explanation even when you don't really feel like you need to give one. You need to be able to do this. I also feel like telling a husband, your wife spends too much. Yeah, she spends too much. And so she annoys me like crazy. Every time I get that pop-up on my phone and it says she spent $300 that we didn't discuss, I get imaginable. I want to ask the husband, listen, is your wife worth an extra $30,000 a year? And if the answer is no, we have other problems. But the answer is yes. Assuming you could basically handle it, the answer is yes. So why are you losing your mind? It's just because of your ego. Just because she didn't tell me, she didn't say, she should say, she doesn't understand how hard I work. Let go of it. Be able to take a little bit of a punch. And I want to say it sometimes to the wife, the same thing. Is your marriage, is your husband worth it? That Let's say he comes a half hour late always. So is your marriage worth it for a half hour? It is. But you're just, how can you make me wait? How can you not tell me? How can you do this? Get over yourself. And don't just get over yourself to make your marriage survive. Get over yourself to make your marriage great. Isn't it worth it? Just write it off at the beginning of the year. Extra 30K. She's going to get the two housekeepers on Saturday. I'm not saying this is going to happen. Extra 30,000 to move on. Just deal with it. That's it. That's the story. She's going to, that's it. You think she needs three pairs of shoes, she's going to order six. You just move on. Don't get crazy. But it's so many times you get crazy and you want to talk to the guy. And you say, sir, you're killing yourself. You're driving your own marriage crazy. You're hurting your relationship. Why are you doing this? I can't. She's wrong. I got it. I know she's wrong. I agree she's wrong. But you're hurting your marriage. You're hurting your night, your life, your week. Why? Because you're too stuck in your own head. I can't tell you how often people's own ego gets in the way of everything they want to and need to be. Let me tell you how self-effacing Esther was. She doesn't say our identity. She says, Kasha, avarati, avarati. If, I get, if I'm taken, I'm taken. One of the reasons the Gemara asked the question, why did she invite Haman to the party? The Gemara actually gives... 12 reasons why she invited Haman to Hashirosh's party. I'm not going to give you all talking. I'm going to give you just one. She says one of her reasons were, she said to herself, I'll let Ahasuerus think that I like Haman. So that what he'll do is, he'll kill him and me. She said, we'll kill both of us. I'll take my own life. And the Jewish people will survive. And the Jewish people will live. The person who's going to create the greatest salvation in Jewish history has to be a person who has humility in its highest form. I'm not going to give you my identity. When I'm going to Ashurosh, I know I'm taking a risk. And when I'm inviting Haman to the party, I am conceding the fact that Ashurosh may kill both of us. And that's how salvation is made. If you always need the credit for what you do, you will do so much less than you could do. If you always need the credit for what you do, you will accomplish so much less than you can because you'll be so obsessed with did they know that's me, did they say, did they acknowledge. 
Number four is your children. So the other day, I asked my kids on the Shabbat table, I like asking them questions. I said, guys, what do you think makes a great parent? What would you answer? What do you think makes a great parent? That gives you everything. That's a great parent that gives you everything? I don't agree with that. That's what the kids would say. So that's not what they said, thank God. They said love, Torah, different answers like that. So the other day I was driving my father or my father and mother. So I said, I said, let me ask my father the, the aunt's question. I think he did a pretty good job. My eight other siblings are pretty good people, right? Everyone here knows one of my siblings. Mashallah, I think they're very good. So I said, Dad, what do you think makes a great parent? Give me the top five things that make a great parent. You want to have great children? Take notes. What are the top five things? He says, here's my five. And he's thinking about each one. He says, number one, you need to set a great example. Number two, you need to show them a tremendous amount of love. Number three, you need to communicate well. I like this one. You need to communicate well with your children. Because a lot of times we have expectations that aren't there. This one to me is a little bit of a chidush. Number four is you need to pray. And number five, and this is the one that fits with the point of our class. Number five is you need to tolerate a lot. To a point, he says. You know, your kids on drugs, maybe you don't have to tolerate that. But you need to tolerate a lot. Those are the five. You like the five? Set a great example, show a tremendous amount of love, communicate well. They need to hear from you what you want and what you expect. Pray to Hashem endlessly and tolerate a lot. Because that, the last one, requires a tremendous amount of humility. Because most people I know have something in their children that they did not expect. And they say to themselves, I can't believe that I have a son who doesn't do well in school. I never can't believe it. I can't believe I have a son who's not athletic. I can't believe I have a daughter who, who doesn't pray. I can't believe I have a daughter who's not as nice as we are. We're always nice people. I can't believe I have a daughter struggling to get married. I can't believe I have a son who's getting so religious. I can't believe that I have this. I can't believe. I can't believe that my son isn't making money. I can't believe my son is making so much money. He doesn't talk to me. I can't believe. I can't believe. You need to tolerate and let your ego go. I just tell you a quick follow-up. So on Friday night, after all my kids answered, my nine-year-old daughter, Deborah, says to me, says, Dad, you know what makes a great parent? I said, what? She says, a great parent is someone who has great parents. Isn't that a good answer from a little nine-year-old girl? And I was like, wow, my father loved the answer. My mother, I couldn't believe it. And then she said another great answer. She says, I'll tell you what else makes a great parent. I'm like, wow, well, I don't know where it's coming from. She says, a great parent is someone who doesn't think they could do and say whatever they want. That's pretty deep from a nine-year-old because it's true. But that's the truth. Great parenting requires a lot of skills, but it requires humility too. It requires you to be able to sometimes let it go. Hashem is going to show Esther that the reason for her victory is because of her, her, her humility. Because the Pasuk says, and then Ahasuerus says, It's him, Vehaman nofel alhamita. That's a famous Pasuk. Vehaman nofel alhamita. Look at the first letter of those four words. Vehaman vav, nofel nun, al ayin hamita he. Vehaman nofel alhamita vav ayin nun he spells anava. Humility. 
The reason why she is going to win and he is going to lose is because she has what it takes. She has what Mordechai has, what Moshe Rabbeinu has. She has the greatest quality a person can have, which is the quality of humility. And he is going to fail because he has the quality that Amalek has, of Ram Levavecha, of 240, the quality of thinking that you are the greatest thing. And when you get obsessed with yourself, so often it brings your downfall. Which is interesting because Purim falls out on four days of the week. Gimel, Aleph, Vav, and He, which are the days of Ga'ava. Because Purim is the day that we switch the Ga'ava and we take, we fight the ego and we, we're victorious with humility. Purim is a day of Venahafochu, that humility wins. And ego loses. Because we often think that ego is the one that's victorious. No, Purim is the opposite. Purim is the day that humility takes over. The day that humility wins the day. And Gava loses. I want to say one last one and we'll conclude with a story. We keep ending late. It's a problem. It's okay. It's okay? Nobody's in there watching. No one else said that. Just you. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Finally, number five is religion. There's a famous pasuk, Pitchuli Sharet Sedek, Avovam Odeka. Open for me the gate of righteousness, and I will go inside of it, please, and I will thank Hashem. Open for me the gate of righteousness. You know what's hinted in that pasuk? Open for me the gate of righteousness. The fact that I, in my mind, believe I don't deserve to go in. The fact that I, in my mind, believe that I am not great enough yet. Religion is about one thing. Constantly growing. The only way you can become great is if you believe you are not yet great. Because if you think you're great already, you think you have nowhere to go. And I can't tell you how many people say, they tell their kids, we're religious. We're completely religious. Why are you growing? We're religious. Since when is that what religion is? That religion is, this is what I do and I never do anymore. Religion is about this quality. The ability to grow. The ability to keep moving. The ability to believe I may be good, but I am not yet great. Pitchuli Sharet said that please open up the gate of righteousness for me. Because I don't deserve to yet go inside. Mordechai, the whole story. Yoshev Beshar HaMelech. He sits by the gate of the king. Hamelech means God. He sits by God's gate, never thinking that he deserves to go inside yet. Never thinking that I've made it religiously. The minute you think you're there is the minute you're not. You want to be a great Jew? You need to think you're not yet a great Jew. You need to keep begging Hashem to open up more gates and more gates of righteousness. Mordechai was constantly at the gate. Hoping to get inside at the Shah HaMelech, waiting to be able to be let inside, waiting to let in. Even after Haman took him all around the city and glorified him, Mordechai went back to the Shah HaMelech. Mordechai went back to his humility. That's why he became a great man. That's why he would be the partner with Esther to save the entire Jewish nation. Because he has that humility. You want to be great in religion, you cannot think you're there yet. 
You have to keep thinking, I'm at the gate and I'm begging God to open, begging Hashem to make my prayers better, to make my learning deeper, to make my Lashon Hara better and cleaner, to make my mouth cleaner, to be a better Chesed and better with other people and use my time well. I keep wanting to be greater. If you ever think you're there, you are not there yet. I want to tell you one last story. I think it's an incredible story of humility. And I hope we articulated well enough, did we? Of how the, the number one thing that gets in the way of everything is you and your ego. It gets in the way of your financial success. It gets in your business. It gets in your way of your relationships, of your marriage, of your children, and of your religion. I just want to tell you what I think is a beautiful story. And I'll show you how it comes back to this. So I told you about this man, Jeffrey, before. Anyone here know who I mean by Jeffrey? Or only a few people. Okay, good. You know what I mean? Jeffrey helped me. No, good, good. Jeffrey helped you? Yeah. Right. So let me tell you this cool story that happened just a few weeks ago. What? No, no, no. He's not a doctor. So I'm going to tell you this story that happened only a few weeks ago. Basically, any person that had COVID in this community in any serious way, he was there for them. So anyhow... A little while ago, we had a woman in our class who was very sick, and she passed away ultimately. Priscilla Sion. So he was on the phone with the doctors at Mount Sinai with Priscilla's nephew and Jeffrey every single day at 6 p.m. He never met Priscilla in her life. Every single day he had a phone. Now he found out that there's a drug, it's like a, it's called a compassion drug or something like that, a drug that they give, the FDA is not yet approved, but they give it to someone who they think it could save their life. There's a drug that maybe she could take that maybe could save her life. There's a doctor in Miami University who had this drug. The doctor's name is Dr. Hare. Jeffrey got this Dr. Hare involved again and again and throughout the process. Ultimately, Mount Sinai wouldn't accept the drug and it didn't work out. And eventually, Priscilla sadly passed away. This Jeffrey decided Dr. Hare helped out a lot. So first of all, just the idea, if you're on the phone every single day, conference call at 6 o'clock with someone you never even met in your life is already unbelievable. He decided that Dr. Hare helped, tried to help out so much, and it didn't end up working out. He sent Dr. Hare a gift of $2,000. So one second, you're not even related to this person. You're on the phone. You're sending a gift for someone you never, it's, it's wild. I, I, the, the whole thing is just, it's just wild. You're already completely past my league. I can't even believe this. Anyhow, he sends Dr. Hare $2,000. Good, doesn't hear back from him. A few days later, he's on the phone with a few people in, called, in an organization called Chaim Medical Resources. And they're talking, and he says, you know, I like to give a doctor a gift. And they say, no, nah, you don't have to give the doctors a gift. They like to help. And they said, you know what, even we have a story. There's a doctor here who, there was a patient, a little baby who had a, a cancer, and then they had, was getting healed, and they need to, the baby had to be, flown to Chicago and needed to get a stem cell um, medication and Dr. Hare gave it to the baby for free. So you see, they like to give. They like to do. He says, wow, that's incredible. A week later, he's on the phone with Dr. Hare. He says, hi, doctor. He says, doctor, did you get my gift? He says, yes, well, I'm sorry. I forgot. Yes, thank you so much. Doctor says, you know what I did with that money? I paid for a baby who was going to Chicago to get stem cell. Is that a crazy story? But here's what's the best part of the story. A few days ago, I met Jeffrey's wife. And I said, you heard the story about Dr. Hare? She says, no. I told his wife the story about him. I said, are you, and then afterwards I saw, I said, are you nuts? Tell her the story, get a little something out of it. This man saved half the community by being self-effacing. 
You want to accomplish great things? Get out of your own way. You want to have a great marriage? You want to have a great relationship with your kids? You want to really be successful in business? You want to be able to grow in Torah and Mitzvot in ways that maybe you never imagined when you were a child? You want to have friends everywhere, people that are nice and people that are nice? You want to be awesome and appreciated in so many ways? You need to be able to ignore your ego. Mordechai and Esther won the day. Aman and Hashverosh and Amalek lost because ultimately, ego doesn't succeed. Humility always does. It takes a lot of strength, but it's such a great quality to have because if you can do this, it's the one thing. Humility is the one thing that can change and enhance everything. Thank you. Thank you all. Great. Right here.